0: Welcome to the 99 Topics for the CCFP Exam podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brady Bouchard.
1: Dr. Bouchard. Hey, Mike, how's it going? And how you doing?
0: Just peachy keen. You got some... You in- look like
1: you're in a recording studio, <laughs> my man. No, just back at home I'm in, in medical records in the hospital. There we go. You look like you're literally in a recording studio.
0: Yeah, definitely not. Just the basement.
1: Great things happen in the basement of Victoria,
0: my friend. <laughs> not really.
1: Um, so what are we going to do tonight, Dr. Bouchard? Are we going to blast
0: them? I think hypertension would be lovely. The last, uh, last but not least of the kind of chronic disease topics, I think. I think it's the last one. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah.
1: How are we doing? I saw your tweet. You were like tracking some statistics.
0: Oh, was I? On Twitter? Of what?
1: On Twitter, you, like, put a sign oh, up on Twitter. saying yeah, like, yeah. We're getting... I did, too. I wasn't sure if that was, like, a lactate of someone that you were assassinating. I'm like, it's this wasn't going the other direction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Lasix for sexes. That's what I swear we're,
0: we're making it worse. We're making it worse.
1: <laughs> we're making it worse. Ooh. Yeah, what
0: did I get here? Uh, like, over the last week, about 100 downloads a day. I don't know if they're all listens, but that's not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty good. It's all you, Mike. Everybody wants to listen to you. I've actually had a couple of residents that said it's really nice to have. To be honest, what they mostly say is an organized Mike Curlew. Oh, Really, exactly.
1: Other than the other than the you know status epilepticus, Mike.
0: <laughs> no, no, because I mean I think people have been listening to you for quite a while now, like your podcast. And then even when I was writing the exam, I'm like, man, he's a really good lecturer. He really knows his stuff. But I can't find a topic in here, and I was like,
1: "Wait, I'll, yeah,
0: well, I'll do that for him." There you go. <laughs>
1: there you go. Exactly. Yeah. You're like my ADHD. You're yeah. you're, you're my strata. Yeah, exactly. If it were, right? Not sure.
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: You're my you're my concerto. Oh right? goodness. <laughs> oh. You're my methylphenidate. <laughs> you're my methylphenidate. Brody Bouchard yeah. is my methylphenidate. They keep me on focus.
0: Oh my goodness, Mike.
1: You're long. You're my long. Focus, Mike. Focus. Focus.
0: It's it's hypertension.
1: What? Hypertension. It's hypertension. Ah, uh, oh, it's hypertension.
0: This is another one. This is this is like the lipidemia topic. My job's pretty easy because we have this whole the chep or chep as you call it.
1: Like, yeah. Well you like the chep. Yes. You like the yeah, hello chef. bonjour. Yeah. There I you go. You know what I mean, stuff? CHEP. Exactly. CHEP guidelines, I think the, what is it, the Canadian hypertension education program or something like that. And they pretty well get updated every year. Um, This, there's actually a couple, a couple pretty significant changes, you know what I mean? And stuff, a couple pretty significant uh, changes with the guidelines. So we can talk to them. Yeah. We can absolutely. talk about them a little bit. Yeah.
0: Maybe we can even start with that because there's a couple like really core things that have changed in this one that I think are good and we're kind of trending that way. Yeah. The first one would be a strong recommendation for electronic or automated BP measurement in the office. Boom!
1: I'm glad you mentioned that.
0: Which I always thought, like... I mean, a lot of docs would be like, "Oh, the automated isn't. You know, we didn't get the value we want. Let's repeat it manually." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah but the machine's better than us."
1: I know exactly. The machine actually listens to the
0: karaoke. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't fake. Listen. It doesn't
1: like JVP the karaoke. I I think it's for. Let me see what the senior residents. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no, it's great. They've actually made an official recommendation that when you're looking to use the machine, like to use the to use the formal machine to get people's blood pressure and stuff, yeah, right? exactly. I'm glad they put that in because, like, practically speaking that's what's happening in clinical practice these days right yeah. like it's when you're assessing patients um you yourself are using the machine um, um the nurses in the room using the machine those types of things to get your vital signs right exactly. and i think it's emphasizing i'm uh, making sure that you're using the machine properly yeah. right like ie hi i just had a smoke and i'm running inside here and getting no does that make sense yeah exactly like it has to be it has to be done properly for hypertension right yeah
0: and to be honest i don't even think most of us are doing it properly properly but keeping that in the back of your mind um i think they recommend five minutes of Qu- sitting quietly I, nobody's yeah. getting that but the point is they can't sit down like they rush into the room they jump up on the exactly. bed you put the cuff on you blow it up that's not going to be a good blood pressure
1: that that's not going to be a good reading and, and, and exactly right like the point is and you know what like now they're even saying that don't even have a physician in the room potentially right if you exactly. read the gold standard it's like the person is in a quiet room for 15 minutes the physician isn't in the room and the machine takes three readings and you average the two you know what i mean like that's the official recommendation exactly right? so um that's the official recommendation yeah. so.
0: and and that's where the idea for doing it automated came from initially. Actually, I don't think it was the accuracy, although I do believe it's more accurate. Um, but it was Very, the but it was the white coat hypertension. So there's exactly. a 2011 study that uh, Marshall Godwin did, um, who's a kind of god of primary care in Canada for research. Um, he is, and uh, yeah, I guess you would know him. Yeah, absolutely. But they they did a good RCT where they compared uh, um, ambulatory blood pressures. Um, taken outside of the clinic setting worth uh, manual and electronic ones in the uh, office and way more white coat hypertension if the doctor's there gri- gripping your arm exactly up the cuff, so. exactly
1: even if you're as good looking as brady bouchard <laughs> you can still cause white coat <laughs> hypertension scary looking right, scary bouchard?
0: i think the word scary looking not good looking
1: bra- good looking oh my god i'm looking at you on you know what i mean and stuff and i feel my diastolic I am glad I have a proper compliant LV right now. That's all I can say. So yeah, so big things with the guideline is, okay, we're using the oscillometric testing. Like that's, that's in manual testing is quote unquote out, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, um, uh, manual testing is quote unquote out. A, do your B, do your blood pressures properly. What is textbook properly? It means the person's in a quiet room. You're using a validated machine, whatever that is. Does that make sense? Um, 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 you're preferably as a physician not in the room at the same time as the blood pressure and you're getting more than one. Does that make sense? Exactly. That is a reading for a blood pressure.
0: Yeah. And an average of those. Of those readings, so two or three readings, not just the highest or not just the lowest one.
1: Exactly. Other
0: points in the, or changes in the recommendations this year, if they have an elevated BP in the office setting, they should have some sort of out of office measurement. So either that's ambulatory or a series of home BPs. So they're really focusing on that white coat hypertension and trying to rule that out. Exactly
1: and they have put that in and that's actually their preference. So if you have hypertension initially diagnosed, it really is to get the person doing some type of ambulatory testing, right? Yeah. And it can be ideal if it's formal testing. Does that make sense? How you get the blood pressure cuff on and we're going to you're going to join the blood pressure cuff off every 20 to 30 minutes for a 24-hour period of time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Trying to get that um uh, trying to get that established, right? So that's a critical change. And they're doing that early right like there were, before it was listed as an option now it's listed at you know it's still listed as an option but that's your preferred option
0: to go right on their uh, their diagram their algorithm it's actually the the second step so it's right after the first visit Ex-
1: exactly exactly so you want to so powerpoint number 1 dr bouchard if you're as handsome and good looking as dr bouchard get the hell out of the room and get your validated automatic machine <laughs> doing the work for you yes. make sure you average your readings does that make sense? And make sure the person didn't just just come from a smoke and jump up on the bed right before you get their blood pressure. Right. PowerPoint number two. Right. PowerPoint. uh, um, 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 PowerPoint uh, number two. If they're hypertensive at that initial visit, get them ambulatory testing. Exactly. That is new, folks. Get them ambulatory testing. Now, do we want to talk about some numbers here, Dr. Bouchard.
0: Just before we get to the numbers, the other thing with white coat hypertension to mention in there, though, too, um, as far as them trying to rule it out, was um, if patients are having multiple in-office readings that are high, um, but they they have normal readings out of office, then they should not be started on a medication. The white coat hypertension does not need to be treated. That's the other change or, or clarification from the previous guidelines that wasn't necessarily in there. White coat hypertension is okay. Not a big deal. Don't need to treat it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because your blood pressure is actually only transiently high and stuff. Yeah. You know what? I I like the fact that that is in there, right? That provides that clarity for that, right? So if you have somebody with an ambulatory, a good ambulatory 24-hour BP, and it's like 120 over 60. and when they show up and see you when they see the fine brady bouchard and it goes up to like 214 over 170 right you're gonna say you know what i mean well hey you're not having a hypertensive urgent you're not having hypertension with end organ dysfunction right now and you're otherwise your ambulatory testing is otherwise fine that could be white hope hypertension you wouldn't necessarily treat that
0: yeah absolutely so
1: rule number one let's review everything because repetition is the key yeah so what's rule number one make sure we're using an oscillometric machine exactly taking it is by hand it's not as bad but they're really recommending the machine make sure you do it properly try to see if you can get a few readings ie3 get the average right yeah go from there and get yourself out of the room especially if you're as good looking as dr brady bouchard
0: exactly yeah and give them some time after a smoke after anything else is gonna kick up their blood pressure exactly
1: exactly exactly
0: yeah and then you were talking about numbers and this is where it gets complicated in in my circles a lot of criticism for this big complicated algorithm but if you wrap your heads around it um so there's numbers for diagnosis and there's numbers for treatment the numbers for treatment are not hard we'll go over those yeah exactly the numbers for diagnosis it's a bit of a a bit of a chart
1: and you just need to memorize this folks yeah yeah
0: exactly for clinical practice honestly i don't know how many people are going strictly by the numbers they're sticking with. What they kind of had in their head before but basically the, the whole point of the algorithm is if they have a super high blood pressure they don't need as many visits to get a diagnosis if they have an right. just over the threshold um uh, hypertensive uh, readings or a couple of them then they need more or they need ambulatory measurement either 24 hour or they need um, a series at home so uh, the numbers are for visit one if they have a uh, blood pressure over 180 over 110 110 yeah that's hypertension on the first visit great you don't have to go any further Um, exactly if they have a blood pressure lower than uh, 140 on 90 then they don't have hypertension because the theory is is that your blood pressure is in general is always going to be up in the office because you're nervous or you know it's not at your most settled point so exactly those are your two you're not at your finest moment folks yeah you don't need to progress any further from either of those in the algorithm um, if you're in that middle range, then you should have an out of office assessment as the next step. So either twenty four hour ambulatory blood pressure if it's available, or a home blood pressure diagnostic series, essentially, you know, taking uh blood pressures throughout the day kind of randomly and getting the patient to bring in a, a diary of them and you can and them there. Alternatively, if you don't if the patient doesn't have a home blood pressure uh monitor and, and you don't have ambulatory, if you're really rural and you're dealing with patients who are poor or can't afford uh, blood pressure, then you can just do sequential visits in the office. Exactly. And that's those numbers that honestly, I don't even have in my head, I, I would have to look it up. But the visit two, visit three, visit four, if they're consistently elevated, so uh, visit two over 140 over 90 visit three, if it's over 160 on 110, then you can diagnose right there. Um, yeah, if it's not over that, then you keep it. if it's over 140 on 90 for five visits in total, then they get a hypertensive diagnosis.
1: Perfect, perfect. To get that diagnosis of hypertension, excellent stuff. Yeah. Dr. Bouchard. And then, so
0: if you get the really good average reading, so the out of office assessment, um, if their average reading is over 135 on 85 with daytime measurements, with daytime blood pressures, or if their 24-hour ambulatory is over 130 on 80, then they get the hypertensive diagnosis. And if neither of those are true, then it's white coat hypertension because There you go. You know, their ambulatory one was not elevated um and they're not in the office at that time and there's no hypertension and you can just go from there and then it's back to opportunistic screening for hypertension at all appropriate primary care visits which i forgot to mention right off the bat that
1: is a mouthful dr bouchard it totally is exactly yeah i want to back up one second go for it when we talk about hypertension right Because this, this issue can come up a lot, right? And the first thing I always think about is, is there any end organ dysfunction?
0: Yeah. Right?
1: Because hypertension with end organ dysfunction equals badness, right? Equals hypertensive emergency? emergency. Excellent, right? Remember that you said that you said hypertensive emergency, hypertensive <laughs> urgency, right? Yeah. And I always say, well, which is actually, you know, have you ever been, which one is worse? An urgent or an emergent, right? Like, you know what I mean? Hi, we're calling you urgently. No, 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 we're calling you emergently, right? Is there hypertension with acute end organ dysfunction, right? Yeah. Because remember, at that time, if you diagnose hypertension and there's acute end organ dysfunction, guess what? That person has hypertension, right? Exactly. And depending on the clinical scenario, that's going to dictate whether or not how, your strategy for lowering that person's blood pressure does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So give me some examples of hypertensive with with and organ dysfunction, Dr. Bouchard.
0: I totally will give you that. To clarify in there too, the other thing, um, the differentiating between urgency and emergency that I got through my head in residency and, and seems to be approaching the standard of care in emergency medicine is that hypertensive urgency should not be a category. So super high blood pressure without end organ uh, dysfunction, Ex- the nurses yeah. will get excited about. They'll be like, we need to oh, yeah, this you down. Go, oh yeah, exactly. this down. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. This person's blood pressure is like 190. And you know why they said that? Because treating that in the emergency. Let's just give you a little. Let's just give you a little. A. Let's just give you a little. It doesn't affect outcomes, folks. In those people without that, uh, um, it doesn't affect outcomes acutely, right? Exactly. Yes, you know, if your blood pressure is that high over years, you're gonna have issues. But acutely, there's no um 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 there's no um there's no um there's no uh, difference. That's why I just like to say, is this person have hypertensive badness, i.e. they have high blood pressure, right? Yeah. And their body parts of their body are stopping working, and you might say. Oh, Mike, how high is high? two hundred is pretty high. 180 is pretty high, but you know what? It doesn't really matter, right? Right. You can have somebody with a crumped out heart with CHF and their blood pressure is 160 and they have flash pulmonary edema, and that 160, it could be the cause of their flash pulmonary edema. That's too high for them. Even though you're like 160, that doesn't sound that high.
0: Exactly. So you don't want to get
1: away. You want to get away from absolute quote unquote numbers and looking at the patient and saying, is there acute end organ dysfunction?
0: Yeah. And so when you talk about end organ damage, the other thing to clarify in there too is it's, I mean, lots of elderly patients and those with chronic uh, disease have end organ damage, but it's end organ damage that's attributable to their hypertension in that moment.
1: In that moment, acutely,
0: yeah. So if they have a blood pressure of 145 on 20, and they have you know a sky high creatinine, but they've had a sky high creatinine you know gradually increasing for for months or years, and they're diabetic. Well, that's not a hypertensive emergency. That's not. There you go. There you that's go. That's not attributable to that. And you don't need to give them the clonidine and crash the pressure.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But conversely, you could have somebody with congestive heart failure whose blood pressure is 170 and they're in flash pulmonary edema. You're like, crap. I may need to lower this person's blood pressure a bit more rapidly. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Because that could certainly be attributable, um, you know, acute onset of symptoms with that, with that uncontrolled hypertension.
1: Perfect. So you got end organ dysfunction. What do you want to think about? So aortic dissection, right? You want to think about, you want to get the pressure down. Usually things that involve the heart, you want to get the pressure down, right? Usually things that involve the brain, you want to be very careful getting the pressure down right? You don't want to be, you want to be cautious. That's a general rule. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, That's a good general rule. Yeah.
0: And the hypertension can cause the brain badness, but then in that case, it's still a hypertensive emergency. But like you said, you have to still be careful, even though it's the cause, you don't want to bring down the pressure. If they bleed into their brain from a bleed because they're hypertensive, well, bringing down that pressure is going to destroy the brain's uh, mechanisms for maintaining perfusion.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Those auto regulatory cycles. So, so generally for heart stuff, right? You know what I mean? Like imagine someone comes in, man, I'm having horrible diastolic dysfunction. I'm in flash pulmonary edema. You give them a couple sprays of nitro and they feel so much better because they drop their preload and their pressure comes down a little. Probably a good idea. Same sort of thing for aortic dissection, right? You probably want to get down their pressure relatively quickly, right? Absolutely. Brain stuff be way more cautious right so you are really going to consult in those situations and a good rule of thumb you don't want to be too keen on lowering your blood pressure in that in those situations where you're dealing with brain badness a bleed or a stroke by any more than usually 10 to 15 percent over a few hours you don't want that person's blood pressure going from 240 to 96 Exactly. that could be badness because your cerebral autoregulation gets totally f right So you want to be careful
0: yeah absolutely if it's sky high um, then you can bring it down like you said 10 or 20 percent Um, But I wouldn't go too much further than that.
1: I wouldn't even, I would even venture. And you want to make sure in that particular situation, you're using agents that are IV, they're short acting. So if you give them a little bit of something and they totally guff their blood pressure down, you you won't make the mistake for too long. You'd be like, ooh, I guess that wasn't a good choice.
0: You're not giving them oral clonidine. So four year, four hours later, they have a blood pressure of 90.
1: Very four hours later, you're still paying for your wisdom, right, Dr. Bouchard? Playing for the wisdom, eh? Well, this will work. Yeah. No, it won't. And we actually have good evidence now, too, that you do not. If you come in and you're asymptomatic and your blood pressure is high, that person needs good follow up with their family doctor. That's what they need to look at risk factor reduction. You understand? Yeah. You do not want to. Giving them a medication only kind of makes you feel good. It doesn't actually change outcome for that patient.
0: Exactly. And their blood pressure needs to be controlled, but it needs to be controlled slowly
1: slowly exactly in fact you can do more damage by bringing it down too quickly and stuff yeah hey can i just have a month worth ramacril here exactly hey, i'll just get there we go and if they
0: have no history again being you know a rural generalist or crossover between family medicine and emergency medicine if they have a blood pressure over 180 on 110 in the emergency department you can make the diagnosis of hypertension and start them on an agent but you're starting them on a long-acting agent you know there you go you start you're, you're ACE inhibitor you're th- diuretic you're not you're not trying to drop it precipitously iv or or with clonidine Exactly exactly
1: yeah exactly and even when they've looked at the benefits of doing that short term in the emerge they haven't panned out yeah, you know what I exactly. mean And stuff so that person needs good follow up and needs to have discussions on hypertension and what do you do about it Excellent Yep lovely the 2015 guideline so rule number 1 when you're talking about hypertension and you're dealing with the very sexy Brady Bouchard, make sure you get the machine to do it because the machine is not as distracting as the great Brady Bouchard. Yeah, Does that make sense? It's totally true. And get the machine, get a couple averages, make sure the person didn't just run from a smoke and jump up on the bed and not you're doing doing everything. Number two, there's a big push for ambulatory monitoring, right? So after that first visit, if you're hypertensive, consider ambulatory monitoring. The other tests of bringing people back to your office for recurrent tests to bring them back, that's really kind of second line if they don't have access to the ambulatory monitoring. Yeah. For everybody writing their exam, your wonderful cutoffs that you need to remember, is up, right? Um, 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 for your, what your, uh, what your blood pressures are, right? When you're dealing with a blood pressure, you ask yourself, is this person have acute end organ dysfunction, right? If they do, then that is hypertensive badness, right? And you have to deal with the hypertension right now. If the answer is no, they don't, then they need follow up with their family doctor if you're seeing them in the emergency department. Resist the temptation of giving them something just for S's and G's, right? Because you're not actually affecting outcomes in the long run. Yep, beautiful. Perfect. Now, what's the big deal? Why do we care so much about hypertension? Why are
0: we... What's the big deal? Oh my goodness! It wrecks your brain, it wrecks your heart, it wrecks your kidneys, wreck's it, wrecks, everything. it wrecks everything.
1: Huge risk factor. Remember, remember, we talked about this last time, Framingham. Yeah. You were right it, with your it, in your normal Iron Ring engineer way of knowing that Framingham was where Massachusetts. Yeah, right? it totally is. Wow! Wow! Excellent. Exactly. So definitely cardiovascular risk factors, risk factor for macrovascular damage. Right. Perfect. Lovely. Something super common, right? Lots of people have it. Lots of people have it and don't know that they have it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Perfect. All right. So what are we going to blast through the hypertensive world afterwards
0: now? Uh, We're going to do management here. We can do management.
1: Two types of management, Dr. Bouchard. There's pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic. Exactly. I know management. Slap people on rabbit, <laughs> Totally.
0: Totally. The number one chronic disease thing, management, easy marks for the exam, lifestyle interventions.
1: There you go. Lifestyle modification. Good friend of multidisciplinary team. Always a good friend. So what is good lifestyle modification? And we could argue these things because when they've actually sometimes studied these things, you know, to say whether or not they actually make a difference. But, but what are, what are some good lifestyle interventions for people to, to yeah, do? Yeah. So some of them have
0: moderate, moderate evidence. The one that has really good evidence is smoking cessation as with most. Excellent. Things. Get people
1: to quit smoking. Very good. Hi. You just came in from a smoke? We can talk about that too at your visit for hypertension. The other things um, that have
0: a little bit of evidence, physical exercise. um, So the same recommendations as as everywhere else, 150 minutes a week, give or take. Uh, Weight reduction, like everybody needs to lose weight, a normal BMI or a a normal waist circumference, Um, limit alcohol intake. So less than two drinks a day. Is what they mentioned in the SHEP guidelines here, or CHEP, um, the da- or CHEP or CHEP? Yeah, exactly. The dash diet, especially because it's hypertension. In Dietary the name.
1: approaches to stop hypertension.
0: Exactly. Um, along with that, limiting sodium intake um, for somewhat obvious reasons, I feel, and then stress management techniques. Um, apparently, Perfect. have a little bit of evidence. Little bit of evidence,
1: right? So good. Make sure you optimize your non-pharmacologic stuff, folks. Yeah. This, you want to make sure that you optimize your non-pharmacologic stuff, right? So make sure that you're, um, that you're, um, that you're doing that or so. That's so, so important and everybody gets that. Exactly. Okay. So you got somebody, you're speaking to them about hypertension, you've given them your spiel. You're referring them to your multidisciplinary team they're doing a diet exercise they're not going to join you know they're not going to say wow i'm going to start drinking a whole lot of jack daniels now they're 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 not joining that club you know what i mean it's like they're going to lose weight right so everybody's going to get all the lifestyle manifestation stuff i'm glad we're going to talk about that first because that stuff is super important absolutely when we when we talk about pharmacologic management now right when we talk about pharmacologic management and stuff what is our approach for that
0: yeah there's a wonderful little acronym that unfortunately isn't in order with the chef but it has all the meds in there or all the big ones so abcd yeah so the ace inhibitors are arb's angiotensin receptor blockers uh, b is beta blockers c is calcium channel blockers and d is diuretics so thia- thiazides or thiazide like perfect oh and i guess we need to talk about in here too even before we're giving medication what are we treating too? what are we talking to the patient about so, the targets are way easier than the diagnosis. I like that a lot better. So Exactly. But so what's the trick you like to do? What's the target? What's the target? Less than 140 on 90 in most patients, including chronic kidney disease, which is a change from exactly. previous.
1: But if you have the diabetes word, and you have hypertension, then your target changes to what? The sexy Dr. start. 130 on 80. Oh my god!
0: There you go. Bing! Yeah. <laughs> and then the one other uh, caveat they put in there is in the frail elderly... Um, with yep. wide pulse pressures, uh, treating to less than 150 systolic, but being wary of those patients with a diastolic less than 60, um, because Close that means six. they have very frail vasculature at that point. Exactly. It's all it's, very, very it's, frail it's, it's vasculature. A, it's, a, it's a lead pipe or a
1: calcium pipe, I should say. There you go. Not very compliant at all, Doctor F- Dr. Bouchard. So excellent. So your targets are way easier, right? Yeah. Most people are going to be 140 over 90. Does that make sense? Under 140 over 90? Now again, we can talk about that latest trial that puts some, a lot of that into question. Does that make sense? Yeah, the sprint um, trial. Uh, yeah, the sprint trial and stuff. And we'll touch on it. Um, um we'll touch on it. So 140 over 90 and stuff. Once you have the diabetes word, it's 130 over 80, right? As your as your target that you should see. Okay, so you diagnose, okay, you're giving lifestyle modification. People know their target, they know what to do. Do they need any other investigations, Dr. Bouchard? Like, do they need to do anything for their hypertension? Do you just say, hey, you have hypertension. I can give you a medication. They could ask your kidneys, but I don't really care. No, we're not going to do that, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. So they actually, so Shep does not say that they need baseline labs, which is nice because, yeah. you know, if they need baseline labs, then you're delaying the initiation of treatment. But they do have somewhat reasonable evidence, grade C and D, um, for kind of doing what you would expect to do. Um, in in hypertension so looking for the end organ dysfunction and also looking for side effects of the medications so they suggest uh urine analysis uh, potassium sodium creatinine fasting sugar and or the a1c uh, lipids including a framingham or a risk assessment with another tool so everybody who gets a diagnosis of hypertension should at that point um, have a risk assessment done so i know we talked about in lipidemia we don't do it until the age of 40 but remember, yeah. we're not screening anymore because they have hypertension. They have a significant risk factor. So they get screened for lipids, even if they're 30 or 20. Um, they should also have an ECG. And in, in diabetics, they ha- should have a protein-creatinine
1: ratio as well. Excellent. Excellent. They should. So, yeah. So most of it is Class C and Class D recommendations and stuff. So, you know, keep that with sort of a grain of salt. You know what I mean? And stuff. But some so some definitely good ideas to consider. Yeah. And probably the only other one I'd,
0: I'd check a little bit sooner maybe. And especially in your... Uh, patients you're worried about um, is watching for the hypokalemia or being wary of it um, when initiating uh,
1: diuretics or thiazide. Perfect. You know what else thiazides can ca- cause, Dr. Ridiculous hyponatremia if you're not careful. Exactly. Right? So just be aware. And hypomagnesemia carefully too, especially those thiazides sometimes. So you just want to be cautious. There's no evidence for routinely checking them, you know, but if people have muscular issues on these things, you definitely want to look at that.
0: Yeah, and they can mess with your sugars too.
1: They can mess with your sugars, Dr. Bouchard. Yep. Hypertension.
0: Yeah, they're pretty potent stuff. No,
1: no, 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 Dr. Bouchard, like the wise and effervescent and sexy Dr. Bouchard, if I may, if I may, if I may put those more appropriate pronouns or adverbs, or I don't understand grammar very well, so I'm just going (laughs) to throw all of the options out there, right? Yeah. So, like, when we talk about hypertension, right, like, most of it is this category called essential hypertension, right? Yeah. Like, i.e., you have hypertension, we can never figure out a secondary cause, right? Exactly. We have to realize, too, in a minority of people, folks, a real minority, there's actually a definitive secondary cause, right? Yeah, exactly. And there's kind of two categories, the major categories that we consider, right? And one of them is endocrine and one of them is sort of renal vascular, yeah. right?
0: Yep, yeah, that's a good point.
1: Now, again, again, are these things common? Absolutely not. They are not common. Like you're lucky to see one person in your primary care career with one of these things, right? Exactly. For a thousand people that don't, but you do want to have these things on your radar if things are not making sense, yeah, right? Exactly. But just keep in mind, folks. Like, just keep in mind that there are secondary causes of hypertension, broadly defined, renovascular and endocrine hypertension. Right. So, like, renovascular hypertension. Um. Um. You know, you're sort of renal artery stenosis and stuff. You can have an atherosclerotic type. Some young women can get this type called the fibromuscular dysplasia, right? You know what I mean? So either hypertension that begins under the age of 30 or greater than the age of 55, right? Your spider sense is going to be tingling that maybe... Now, keep in mind, most people, the vast majority of people are going to have regular old run-of-the-mill essential hypertension and nothing is going to be going on. But you do want to... You don't want to kind of make sure your spider sense is tingling. The person's on tons of drugs and you still can't control their blood pressure greater than or equal to three, Right? Um, for renal vascular if they see that creatinine rise, especially after starting an ace your spider sense is going to start to tingle and stuff right like um um, especially if the person doesn't have pre-existing renal disease that they may have renal vascular hypertension i had a couple of patients they had horrible renal vascular hypertension what they would get is just horrible like hypertensive surges and stuff oh, right yeah. like they would get you know what i mean they would get bad flash pulmonary edema so this guy I came in and he just was getting all these episodes of flash pulmonary edema twice. We're like, what's going on and stuff? And the guy, you know, had a, had a hairline bilaterally of, of renal artery that was actually left. It was basically entirely stenosed. Oh, right? there you go. So no. you can, uh, you can, uh, you can get that. So, um, um, if, when you see that and stuff, you're going to want to pursue some secondary investigations, you know, things like ultrasounds, those types of things and stuff. Yeah. Um, endocrine hypertension. So remember your famous, you know, Kahn syndrome, your aldosterone secreting tumors. And then you have your, famous internal medicine, theochromocytoma. Yeah,
0: exactly. Which I'll never even, see.
1: If you want to get into have you thought about a theochromocytoma? <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Have you thought about that multiple endocrine neoplasia? Yeah. Type 2B. <laughs> 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 I, I could, right, you know I, I know can I mean? completely
0: like, tell that you're reading off of Wikipedia right now or whatever because that's just go. not I'm, in our wheelhouse. go. I'm reading lives. off of Wikipedia as yeah. we go
1: along. Well, of course, there, Doctor Bernie Bouchard, right? Well, just keep in mind these, 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 um, uh, um, uh, um uh, these conditions exist too and stuff, and they can be associated. Um, um. So, endocrine hypertension, as well as um, as well as kind uh, um, um, of high, hy- yeah, renovascular hypertension and stuff. And keep in mind, the guideline will talk about the screening tests that you do. That, you know whether you know renin activity indexes and urine metanephrines and stuff. And you just want to, you know, you don't need to know a lot about that stuff. Does that make sense? So I, yeah. I wouldn't, you know, if you're writing your family medicine exam, I wouldn't worry about that stuff too too much. You know because that's very very uh, uh um these are much much rarer things. Yeah. they're not gonna say they're not gonna. Ask you on your family medicine exam, hi, what's the urine metanephrine cutoff for diagnosing this? You know, you're not going to get asked that. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: no, I think you're, uh, I think that's a good point, Mike. And probably the take home is if you're diagnosing hypertension in a patient that's way too young or way too old to have a first diagnosis of it, or there's some, you know, spidey senses um do some
1: investigations. That's it. Do some investigations, exactly, right? Yeah. And, and you want to consider broadly there's that class of renovascular hypertension and there's that class of endocrine hypertension, right? And there's screening tests that we can do and then confirmatory tests that we can do as well too. I'm not going to talk about it any more than that. There you go. Because I find people just like spend way too much time on memorizing what is the renin activity index cutoff no, does that make sense? You're not going to walk around with your brain space, right? Please, to God, if you're filling your brain with that for the examination, you're not going to get any mark. Put some Parkinson's disease in there, please. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, put something way more common that they could ask you about. Does that kind of jive? I'm not an internist for a reason. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. You know what I mean and stuff. Perfect. Yeah. So
0: therapy, um, we talked about ABCD. That's all you really need to keep in your head. There's a couple of new agents or combinations out there. I don't think they're worth knowing or caring about right now. Um, So for most patients, uh, they should be started on a thiazide, uh, Shep recommends. Um, Although any of uh, the four of them can be first line uh, with a few exceptions. Uh, For patients with cardiovascular kidney disease,
1: including diabetics, they should be started on an ACE or an ARB. Perfect. and I'm glad you mentioned that. Right. Think about the oh, first thing you put in, there in your mind is, does this person have cardiovascular disease? Does this yeah. person have atherosclerotic manifestations? Right. Because there's probably evidence for ACEs in them. Yeah. Do they have proteinuria? Does that make sense? Then there's evidence for ACEs in them. Right. So ask yourself those three questions, right? Diabetes, is there evidence of atherosclerosis? Does that make sense? Does this person have evidence of of proteinuria? Does that make sense?
0: Exactly. Beautiful. Good point.
1: There's probably evidence for giving those people some type of angiotensin blocking agent.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, You can use any of them uh, first line, like we mentioned. Beta blockers shouldn't be used over the age of 60, though, as a first line um, I don't. Perfect. I don't think most people use them first line. Anyways, they don't work as well, and they have side effects in in uh, especially in younger patients. They can't get their exactly. heart rate. And in going older up.
1: patients, they can cause things like falls and impotence, which is the definitely positive selling features right
0: exactly so you're starting them on a medication you're titrating it up to uh the target dose so there's target doses you can look at the rx files you can look at other references the target doses again just like we talked about with the other chronic disease stuff they're based off of the studies so each of them have it we don't have to go over it um if they're at a target dose or at a maximum dose with one medication then you add on another first line um, you can add on two, you can add on three. Um, if they get into the three or four category, then you're getting into resistant and refractory hypertension. Um, com- Perfect. Combinations that are good to know in practice and for the exam, there's good evidence for a thiazide and a calcium channel blocker together. Um, yeah. And there's a, a slightly less evidence for a calcium channel blocker and an ACE inhibitor. Um, all the other combinations, Chep gives a grade D um, to as a yeah. combination. Not that they're contraindicated. Exactly. they just don't have good evidence that they work as well together. They're not synergistic. Exactly, exactly. And then after you've started two agents, so you can keep on adding agents, but if you've added two and they're um, at the target dose of both of them and they're still uh, poor response... Then that's also when I'd go back to your initial diagnosis and think, is this actually essential hypertension? Is there something I'm missing? Are they not taking the medication? Um, do they Will they need more medication just because they're super obese or they drink a ton or they smoke a ton? Yeah. Um, are they on heavy doses of NSAIDs or steroids? Um, are they volume overloaded? Um, all those kind of things. Perfect. Perfect that's exactly what you do that's exactly what you do and stuff exactly and in uh one other point in there there's a a, so there's the sprint trial we'll talk about briefly i'll let mike rant on that um which may or may not be big news depending on whether you like it or not there's lots of criticism and uh, oh oh
1: oh, baby um
0: but the other (laughs) study that i uh recently saw that um was news to me was for resistant hypertension so this is after three agents they're still not at target
1: is that that denervation? Are you about to mention par- sympathetic denervation? No,
0: no, no, no. Uh, Spironolactone has good evidence as yes. the fourth agent.
1: Perfect. And it is the fourth agent because you have no other classes at this point. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's kind of an interesting study because they're using, so they're like hypertension medication, right? Like, let me just break it down like hypertensive medications you did a very very good overview of that right you can break them down into stuff that you use normally and then stuff that you never should use does that make sense yeah. or you should be really cautious about using right what's your first thing that you do you ask yourself okay do you have um real do you have proteinuria does that make sense um um do you have an atherosclerotic manifestation right yeah. um do you have diabetes right probably evidence for um um not actually probably evidence for um um angiotensin re- receptor blockade does that make sense Either an ACE or an ARB. You're adding on agents of other categories. Common other categories are calcium channel blockers. We can all name categories of that. Thiazides. We can um, um diuretics, right? Uh, um, um, um We can we can talk, and beta blockers, right? Now there's lots of other medications that we can give. The problem is we just don't use them because they either have side effects that are ridiculous. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So like clonidine is is an antihypertensive medication. It has a lot of other side effects that can affect people. And we don't tend to like to use it. Yeah. And it's super short. Um, Minoxidil is an antihypertensive medication again, but it has lots of side effects and we don't like to use it. Right. So that's the kind of thing is that if you're using and you get to when you're starting having the person and they're on three, four agents and you still don't have their blood pressure target, you have to do exactly as you said. Look. Revisit the diagnosis. Maybe this person has something. And you know what? Way before I think about vitamin C or Kahn syndrome or aldosterone secreting tumor syndrome, I'm thinking about those issues that you mentioned. Is the person taking their medication? Are they taking a whole bunch of Advil because their knee's hurting them? Does that make sense? And they're not telling you, right? You know, are they still smoking, right? Like, are they, you understand, you're going to look at those factors and see about optimizing. Remember, they even talk about it that in those cases of resistance, most of the time, it's actually just like one of those lifestyle issues it's just not being optimized very effectively.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Perfect.
0: Ah, oh, beautiful. Um, Sprint.
1: Sprint. Tell me about the Sprint. Is it a phone company?
0: <laughs> Is oh, it like, a phone Hello? company?
1: Exactly. We have to edit that out because, like, you know, we have, you know, what I mean, it's, now they're going to say, "Oh my God, we sold out!" Right, like. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so SPRINT is uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine. It's one of those um, trials that gets its own acronym. It gets its own website. Um, It was a big deal. Um, 9,000 patients randomized. Essentially, they were looking at, with some subgroup analysis, but in general, for patients treated with hypertension, is it better to treat to a lower target? So less than than 120, which they called intensive treatment, or better to treat to normal, so aka less than 140 systolic or standard treatment in general people seem to think that it was done well and kind of the controversy here is that none of the recommendations up until now have suggested that intensive treatment is is worthwhile in most patients but the conclusion out of this study um, was that the intensive uh, arm so aiming less than 120 systolic for most patients um, but treating to that lower target lower rates of uh, fatal and non-fatal major cardiovascular events and death all causes There you go. So that'll definitely be in the guidelines next year, what they make of it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I'll tell you who will make a lot of money. Um, There's going to be a lot more people on medications to get their blood pressure down to 120. And remember this trial too was stopped early for efficacy. They found the results were so good. Does that make sense? That they felt it was a crime against humanity to keep the, to, to fully do the trial. Right. So again, you know, some criticism of the study, I, I, you know, I, I'm waiting to see more evidence. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I think there is a subset of people definitely for sure that we can safely do intensive management on. The question is, is that how many people are we going to try to do intensive management on and we're just going to give them more hip fractures? Does that make sense? And more subdural because they keep on falling, right? You know, and I think that has to be a fine balance point there that we have to consider, right? Yeah. Is okay. that at some point we're we're going to be taking, um uh, um let's see, older people with other risk factors like osteoporosis and stuff and we're trying to shove down their blood pressure and we may be running into the situation where they're falling more, right? And that's the situation, right? Yeah. So I would say overall Fairly good study, but you know, I, I always like to wait a little bit to kind of see, well, what when some of the subgroup analysis comes out, like, what does this kind of pan out? And remember, ultimately, what you have to answer is what's good for my patient. Yeah, the 50 year old who is, who is, who's there, who is, is, is like, yeah, I'm willing to take, who's uber motivated. Does that make sense? Who's young? Then they're going to probably derive way more of a benefit than the 79 year old. Does that make sense? Yeah. Who's had three falls, who lives at home by themselves. You know what I mean? Um, um, with rugs and doesn't want, you know, and, and, and has broken both of their hips, right? you may consider. So I think we need to make sure that, you know, in medicine, it's not always about con, like content, but it's also about context, right? And sometimes the right answer in the wrong context can actually kill people, right? So you want to make sure that you can consider that as well, too. But probably for the sub, for the groups that were studied in the sprint trial, and again, there, it showed a potential benefit for more aggressive reduction stuff. But again, consider your patient. What is your patient? Are they going to fall if you put them on their medication, right? Are they going to get a whole bunch of renal failure because now you're driving them down with high because people are going to be on way more medication. Exactly.
0: And I think that's one of the criticisms with it too. And we'll see how it pans out from uh, people smarter than myself um, who read through it. But they didn't, they reported more adverse events, but they didn't dive into it deep enough. And the other, the the other thing was start, uh, I think I mentioned this on the previous podcast, if you stop a study early, it better be a pretty significant outcome. And yeah, it was it, it was significant in the in the mathematical and the statistical sense because they had so many patients in there um, that there was a significant difference. But it was a small significant difference. And you there you go. That's like- the number needed to treat, um, as per their numbers, in order to um, uh, prevent one uh, cardiovascular death over the trial period so they stopped it after 3.26 years um was 200 so a number needed to treat of 200 that's not i, I don't know why they stopped the study early yeah,
1: yeah exactly and that's and that's my criticism as well too like when you stop a trial for for that kind of effect like you're expecting like wow you know like the you know, it's it's just going to be some, and, and a one and two, it's it, it, it's it's not to say that it's not impressive, but, you know, you kind of have to say, like, am I really going to stop the trial for that, right? And that was my sort of criticism, right? So, so again, take-home message that I take from the sprint trial is is that for a subset of people, the people that they looked in it, um, there were adverse events. And, I um, mean, it's interesting how those weren't really correlated very well, you know what I mean, and stuff. I don't know. Maybe the adverse events were minor. Maybe it was, there were adverse events but there was but there's a subset of people that definitely could potentially benefit from more aggressive um reduction in their blood pressure. So what it really shows to me is that you really have to consider your patient. Does that make sense? And it really is um, I'm always, you know, the patient-centered medical home, shared decision-making. Does that make sense? To kind of, to kind of see that. Am I going to start driving down 80-year-olds, um, on blood pressure to 120 when it just wants to be fine at one? You know, people make it to 80, not because we put them on a statin at 79. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. For like, sure. it's, 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 you know what I mean? And stuff like I, I I'm not sure it would definitely necessarily change my practice all that much in that, but, you know, maybe in some younger people, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Bouchard. How do we do with hypertension, my man? I think we nailed it. This was a good one. Hypertension. Dr. Bouchard. So rules, just to summarize the rules of hypertension. So number one, hypertension is a really super big deal. A lot of people are affected. A lot of people that have it don't know it. And it's a big deal because it's a major cardiovascular risk factor. Exactly. So it causes macrovascular manifestations, heart strokes, uh, um, 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 renal disease, et cetera, et cetera. Rule number two. If you're handsome and sexy like the great Dr. Bouchard, then get out of the room and let the oscillometric machine do the work for you. Make sure you're doing the blood pressure properly. If you can't, don't get the person just as soon as they run into the room after they had a smoke. Does that make sense? And get their blood pressure, right? Oscillometric testing, right? What else have they done? They're really pushing ambulatory testing, right? So if you can, get the formalized testing. If you can't, you're doing your ambulatory BP, home BP monitoring, right? Really pushing that. Forward,
0: yeah. right? And the reason to do that is to rule out that white coat hypertension again.
1: White coat hypertension, exactly. And if the person has a, a decent um, ambulatory test, but every time they come and see you, they're hypertensive, you don't necessarily need to treat that hypertension because it seems on a regular day, they're pretty good. They're just distracted by Dr. Bouchard's utter sexiness.
0: It, it definitely that happens routinely <laughs> to me. Yeah. <laughs> every That's patient I see is hypertensive. Of
1: Dr. Bouchard's <laughs> effervescence.
0: Yeah, it totally is.
1: <laughs> Excellent. If you have a person and you're and and and, and you're treating them and you're and and, and you've diagnosed them with hyper uh, and you've diagnosed them with hypertension, remember lifestyle, right? Diet, exercise, not a good time to drink Dak Daniels. Salt reduction, um, weight loss. All that wonderful smoking cessation. That's going to be your first line stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, make sure that you're, um, that you're doing that. If you're treating with a pharmacologic medication, ask yourself the three questions. Does this person have atherosclerotic manifestation? Does this person have proteinuric renal disease? Does this person have diabetes? If they have one of those three. If they have one, um, 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 one of those three things, there's probably good that some type of angiotensin receptor blocking agent, such as an ACE and an ARB, is going to be first line in that category. All other people, basically, you could, any agent goes. Yeah, you don't want to use beta blockers in people, really people who are really old. You don't want to use something that sounds really old like clonidine or monoxidil. We don't tend to use that stuff anymore. Right? And you want to combine agents from different classes till you get to your target. The target for most people is under 140 over 90. Um, unless you have the big D word, which is diabetes, it's 130 over 80, my friends. Beautiful. Remember, if the person is on multiple agents, if the person has di, uh, um, hypertension, uh, um, diagnosed at the extremes, um, um. there could be other secondary causes, but keep in mind, these secondary causes are really rare, like theochromocytomas. Yeah. Like renal artery stenosis. Like Kahn syndrome, aldosterone secreting tumors, right? Rule number... Do not memorize those cutoffs for the exam of Renin. Like, don't fill your mind with Parkinson's disease, please, people. Don't I know what the Renin cutoff is for screening for a phobromocytoma. Wow, most nephrologists don't know that offhand, right? Exactly. <laughs> Crystal clear, Dr. Bouchard. Oh, it was beautiful, man. And if the spring trial, there may be a subset of people that do better with more intensive reduction.
0: And I think that's probably common sense too. I mean, if you have young patients who you know can tolerate having a fall if it comes to that um and you know can manage their medications well and stuff like that and sure aim for 120 if i got diagnosed right now i'd aim for 122 there you
1: go you know what, brady bouchard if you were diagnosed right now i would say stop looking at the mirror because your sense of effervescence would drive up your own
0: oh my pressure. goodness i'm giving myself white coat hypertension
1: we're having too much fun dr bouchard always a pleasure
0: thank you very much mike it was lovely today
1: so what topic are we going to tackle next
0: Ooh. We can give the listeners a preview. Ah, uh, good question. What do you What do you think? What are you feeling? What you fe- you do all the feeling, Doctor Strange? Uh, I do all the feeling. How about you do all the feeling?
1: I. How
0: about fever?
1: Oh, you give me fever, do 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 fever dr bouchard always a pleasure
0: yeah absolutely we'll Michael. tackle
1: fever next time sounds good you have a good evening
0: never know how much i love you never know how much i care when you put your arms around me i get a fever that's so hard to bear you give me fever